This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. This is Susan Thompson. This is my first interview for the New Books Network and African Studies. I'm delighted to welcome my very first guest, Reinhard Kessler. He's a professor of politics at the University of Freiburg in Germany. He's written a fascinating book on German reparations or the lack therein in Namibia titled Nambia and Germany, Negotiating the Past, published in 2015 by the University of Namibia Press. Of course, um, many of you may know that today's Namibia was once at the German colony of Southwest Africa for a 30-year period beginning in 1884, ending in 1915. From 1904 to 1908, German colonial troops committed the first genocide of the 20th century against the Herero and Nama peoples, many of whom rebelled against the labor and land impositions of colonial rule. Victims of the genocide have yet to receive justice for the German colonial authority and indeed the German government today consider the violence of that period to be a byproduct of its policy of settler colonization. Enter the work of Reinhard Kessler. His book, of course, argues that the German government needs to address its legacy of settler colonial rule and that ordinary German citizens also have an obligation and a right to know their country's violent past. Kessler's book advocates a way forward for dialogue and debate on Germany's Namibian past, linking it, of course, to the Holocaust and different events inside uh, Namibia. Uh, Reinhard Kessler, welcome to the New Books Network. Thank you. I'm excited to have you. I wanted to start with an overview for those who may not know the German case. What is Germany's colonial legacy in today's Namibia, then German Southwest Africa? What happened and to whom and why? Uh, well, uh, Germany uh, started uh, its uh, colonial quest in 1884, and uh, Namibia, also a very arid uh, uh, region, was the only of the German colonial acquisitions which was considered as a viable settler colony. So that sets it apart from uh, other German colonies. Mm-hmm. And uh, the uh, dynamics of settler colonialism always mean uh, that uh, indigenous people are um, driven off the land. They uh, are either uh, really killed off or uh, uh, they are reduced to the status of uh, chattel uh, labor force. Mm -hmm. So... uh, this, the genocide of 1904-1908 uh, 
was in some ways uh, in the logic of this uh, settler colonial project. Also, uh, of course, there was controversy. There were also people saying, oh, we are uh, really uh, destroying the foundations on which to build the colony because uh, people are uh, being killed, cattle is lost, and so forth. But in, uh, basically, uh, it is uh, in uh, the potential and logic of settler colonialism what happened. Now, um, uh, I think to not to be too long, uh, this uh, genocide was, uh, in my view, particular among the genocides of the 20th century, uh, since it was actually happening in open public view. There was uh, actually a lot of publicity of uh, the war and uh, the genocide and the crimes, uh, what was today be crimes against humanity uh, quite clearly uh, in the German press, in the, in, uh, the uh, postcards uh, showing hanging scenes and uh, even worse and so forth. Uh, and uh, these uh, uh, crimes were uh, extolled as um, heroic deeds of the German army which was going on, I think, uh, more or less uh, right up to 1945. And so uh, it is, of course, not the same as the Nazi crimes, but it is linked to the Nazi crimes, little doubt, I think. And at the same time, um, by um, the post-war, post-World War II period, uh, this whole complex was out of the public mind. It uh, sort of was overshadowed by the Holocaust. It was um, also, of course, um, overshadowed by uh, the economic uh, miracle in Western Germany. And uh, so what has happened actually since about 2004, the centenary of um, the Battle of the Waterberg, Ohamakari, uh, which is sort of the beginning of the genocide, uh, has been a slow um, awakening of at least uh, sections of the German public. In the media, on the other side, uh, this has always been, for Overero and Nama, this has always been life history. It has been handed down by oral traditions and reproduced in uh, annual commemorations. So we have a very, very different uh, situation there. And uh, it's quite obvious that people were not able, up to 1990, uh, independence, really to campaign for what they see as their rights, reparations and uh, apology from Germany. And so that has been uh, getting underway since then, and also, I would say, in uh, more intense ways uh, for the last uh, uh, 20 or 15 years. So tell me this. The, so what you're saying then is that the past is definitely not agreed upon. There's an official sort of silencing on the German side. You have this legacy of late independence, so Namibia becoming what is today Namibia only in 1990. 
Um, how is this past being mediated between the official version, the German version, let's say, the Namibian government and those descendants of um, survivors of the, the genocide of 1904 to 1908? Uh, well, I think um, uh, the starting point to uh, sketch this out would be uh, the uh, resolution of the Bundestag of German Parliament uh, in 1989 when Namibian independence was uh, impending. And uh, there uh, the Bundestag um, stated uh, there is a special responsibility of Germany towards Namibia. But the resolution does not tell you uh, why there is a, social, a special responsibility. Um, that is uh, partly because uh, the parties at that time could not agree on the reason. So there was um, in the presence of a German-speaking minority. There was actually the colonial path, and there were, was the collaboration of the. West German government uh, with the apartheid regime and uh, uh, the illegal occupation of Namibia by uh, South Africa mm -hmm. uh, during the uh, 60s, 70s, and 80s. So that was uh, apparently a reason why they uh, did some um, uh, lock rolling and, uh, and in the end they said, okay, we agree on the uh, uh, smallest denominator, which means... Uh, just state special responsibility, and uh, by that very token, they don't address uh, the genocide explicitly at all. Now, the Namibian government uh, has been very, very quiet for a long time um, about uh, the issue, uh, possibly because uh, there is a very um, substantial uh, German Overseas Development Assistance. Uh, actually, Namibia is uh, getting the highest per capita ODA um, uh, from Germany worldwide, uh, but of course per capita not uh, in actual uh, sums because Namibia is a very small country population-wise. Uh, now, um, uh, when uh, there started to be a serious mobilization in uh, sections of the affected communities and people started to organize and uh, really make their voices heard. Uh, this also uh, prompted the Namibian government slowly uh, to uh, also join into uh, this campaign in a specific way and that is still very controversial as we speak, because uh, the Namibian government now claims uh, that uh, they alone can represent Namibians, their citizens, whereas the uh, affected communities, uh, or mo many parts of the affected communities, to be more precise, insist that they must have their own uh, in, um, independent representation at the negotiating table. And uh, so this is a deadlock that uh, still persists. Uh, I should mention, I haven't mentioned yet, sorry for the omission, 
<laughs> that uh, uh, there has been a formal negotiation between the two governments uh, since uh, 2015 when uh, the German Foreign Office by its uh, spokesperson let it be known that now they would accede to the term of genocide, which they had formerly not done. It was sort of a taboo to talk about genocide in German official language. They uh, then um, acceded to that, and um, uh, this uh, sort of was part of the opening for these formal negotiations. But... Um, it seems uh, we don't know too much about them since they are behind closed doors, but mm. it seems uh, they are still in a deadlock on these two basic counts. The one is uh, how do you involve the affected communities? The other is um, um, the issue of reparations because German diplomacy is adamant that there will be no reparations, there will be some form of payment, yes, but they are adamant not to call it reparation, uh, apparently because they are afraid of setting a precedent uh, for uh, compensating German crimes during the Second World War. No, I mean, you raise a lot of interesting points in your comments there. I want to unpack some of them. So you made, um, I think, what is a really important point that only in 2015, you know, 100 years after the end of formal German rule, did the government of Germany begin to think, well, we should apologize, we should atone. And as you noted, they acknowledged that the policy of massacres and starvation and forced deportations and concentration camps and so on as a form of genocidal violence. They used the word genocide. But then they also denied their legal culpability or responsibility for the crime. So this, for me, raises two questions. You write in your book in one chapter about the 2001 alien tort case. And as we both mm. know, your book came out in 2015, but later in 2017, descendants and representatives of the traditional um, authorities from the Herrero and Namo communities launched a second alien tort case. Maybe there's a third, I don't know, but they did cite very clearly they are seeking reparations, their language is reparations for the incalculable damages, you know, in quotes, that German colonial rule has wrought, acknowledging the policy of genocide. And of course, their case was denied, as um, we both know, in March 2019. So what can happen from an apology that doesn't lead to reparations? How can traditional communities, traditional authorities begin to negotiate with American courts and the alien tort system, representatives of the Namibian government are trying to safeguard their, you know, ODA from Germany. And of course, the German government who is open, but open only on its own terms, if I'm understanding you correctly. Yeah, I think it's, it's a quandary in a way. Um, and uh, I think I'm afraid to say that German official stance is really uh, responsible for that. Uh, I think um, uh, they are mainly uh, safeguarding uh, a, a judici judicial legal position. Uh, and um, because of that, um, they are not really moving. Mm. And they are, uh, they are actually invoking... Um, colonial um, 
uh, legal uh, legal instruments, like uh, claiming uh, that uh, um, the, the legal provisions that prevailed even at the time in um, in, uh, in uh, uh, among uh, civilized powers in inverted commas. Mm-hmm. Um, were not applicable to uh, the war in the media. Actually, there is a quote from uh, the diary of the commanding general, Lothar von Trotha, who exactly says, no, it's not uh, on to wage war in Africa under the Geneva Convention. So this uh, general was aware that there was, that he was um, um, in contravention to the existing laws, but uh, the, the German Foreign Office, through its lawyers, uh, still maintains no; these laws were not applicable uh, to and uh, to colonize uh, people to in in inverted commas to natives. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it is it is a very very serious um, uh, thing. Uh, what we are watching, apart from the merits of the legal merits of the cause, which is now uh, still uh, in its second round uh, in the U.S. I'm not a lawyer. I don't know uh, how it will uh, turn out. But uh, these um, uh, these statements uh, in the name of the German Foreign Office are a disgrace in So you've really directed your analysis in many ways at Germany and German citizens. How is the acknowledgement, at least from the German Foreign Office and other representatives of the German government, that their colonial policy was genocidal? How is that shaping debate in Germany at all? One thing that really struck me in your book is that ordinary Germans don't know, and they don't know because, of course, the talk of colonial crimes, colonial rule, settler colonization, and so on was really suppressed after World War II for reasons, you know, we can all guess the end of World War II and so on. How, 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 what's happening in Germany right now amongst ordinary people, but also amongst the government? I know you yourself have participated in protests in Berlin and elsewhere with members of the Herero community. Well, um, I, I, I think uh, this is a, still in the German public. It is a very minoritarian issue, and one must, and it most likely will never be anything else than a minoritarian issue. Uh, there is there are various reasons. Uh, so uh, uh, people still are not very much aware that uh, Germany ever was a colonial power and uh, yeah, what I call a colonial amnesia of course also pertains not only to not knowing uh, but certainly not caring and Germans can afford not to care. Yeah. So uh, this is an, a very, very uphill struggle to begin with. But one must say that in the last few years uh, there has been some progress. So uh, there have been um, reports in the quality media uh, on uh, various um, 
several instances of returning human remains from um, scholarly institutions in Germany, uh, most lately also uh, the return of uh, the Bible and the writing of the Namibian national hero, Henry Gridboy, uh, in uh, last February. And this uh, also drew uh, quite a bit of uh, attention, and it was um, in the media. Uh, and so uh, things are happening where, as you probably know, there is um, a debate going on about holdings of colonial holdings of museums. Uh, it's all over Europe, and I believe also one can say in the U.S. and uh, Australia uh, certainly as well, various other uh, regions, and uh, that has drawn a lot of attention. Uh, so uh, the federal government in Germany has proclaimed last year when they got into office that they would make uh, the uh, issue of colonial holdings of museums uh, sort of um, the, uh, a, a major theme of their uh, of of, uh, of their work during this uh, period uh, uh, parliamentary period. Uh, the same, the minister said the same as uh, it has been. The last uh, for the last period, uh, the uh, uh, art that has been uh, robbed by the Nazis uh, from uh, Jewish people. Mm -hmm. I one that those were grand words, and one uh, wonders what is going to happen. Uh, at least there are uh, tentative moves, and uh, the main uh, problem at the moment is uh, that. Of course, you must uh, at least know uh, what uh, museums hold, uh, what uh, where the holdings come from, how they got into the museum, and this is uh, such a blank space uh, in our knowledge uh, for the most part that uh, I I don't think uh, we will see in uh, any solution in our lifetimes. So it turned out that the museums are. Understaffed, they're not. Uh, they are in in in, um, in very many cases, they're in very bad shape. Uh, so uh, any idea that this will be resolved in in uh, a foreseeable time is, I think, uh, an illusion. So it is much, uh, but uh, there's much talk and uh, rather little action. Uh, but uh, at least uh, we have uh, some publicity. Uh, uh, there is also, as you may, may or may not know, in Germany it's important, um, the uh, plan to uh, have this uh, grand museum of uh, uh, African, Asian, and uh, Oceanic, Latin uh, South American art mm -hmm. in the center of Berlin uh, in the reconstructed um, castle of the Hohenzollerns. 
uh, which is in itself a big, big problem uh, in what uh, I have conceived. But of course, the controversy over that is also sort of uh, drawing attention to these issues. And uh, the initiative of President Macron of France, France to say, okay, we go give back uh, uh, to, um, uh, holdings of, of museums and so forth. So uh, there is something going on on that side, but it is not uh, really um, as far as uh, satisfying uh, any uh, of the concerns of the Namibians, I'm afraid. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. And it also seems to um, preclude any conversation about reparations. So since the German government does not want to use the language of reparation, because, of course, they give ODA in great numbers by their own measure, you noted, of course, per capita, it's um, actually not that impressive a number. But your comment has me thinking as I listen to you, you wrote a really profound, richly empirical what I would consider a piece of public scholarship, because you say in the intro quite clearly, I'm not going to bog you down with theory. I'm going to use the concepts as they come up and ex- explain them as they relate to my overall argument about colonial crimes and, of course, um, the politics of memory and the di- different conceptual realms of memory. What kind of scholarship do you see um, happening in Namibia, obviously scholars like you, but is there a second generation in Germany, uh, another generation or an up-and-coming set of junior scholars, PhD students who are thinking about these questions? Or, or are we at a critical juncture where the past may not be negotiated because simply too much time will pass and those with the energy and passion to take on the work um, will no longer be with us? Uh, well, of course, uh that is um, always an issue, a so-called moving gap um, in terms of our history. Uh, but I'm uh, rather optimistic uh, as, as far as the uh, upcoming or already more or less established um, generation of younger scholars is concerned. I think there is a real um, cohort of Namibian historians and social scientists who um, have changed uh, the situation uh, dramatically. So they are not all working on uh, issues of the German colonial period, of course. There are a number of um, practical questions and issues there, like actually very few people being able to read German um, mm-hmm. in, in that group. But uh, they are active and they are uh, they are creative and uh, I think uh, that is uh, the main thing um, to look for um, before uh, not, then uh, um, turning to uh, the 
uh, world outside the media, which uh, where, I, where I see uh, really also a lot of activity, also in terms of um, um, international scholarships. So uh, quite a few people from the U.S. actually doing PhDs, which um, relate to issues of uh, the German period or later in the media and, and, and uh, this kind of work. And in Germany, there is also a lot uh, going on in terms of uh, PhD thesis. And um, yeah, unfortunately, uh, for Namibian studies, uh, it's uh, still not um, a general rule that uh, people publish in English. Uh, some uh, still uh, publish their stuff in German, which is a pity because uh, then Namibians uh, are left out except the German speakers and that's an effect which, which is highly unwelcome in my view. It sounds like though what you're describing is a moment of optimism and perhaps even an openness on the part of um, Namibians themselves but perhaps also the Namibian government to allow these types of studies to go forward because we also know just thinking about African studies more broadly, some countries are not very welcoming of um, foreign researchers. And I mean, rightfully so, that's their sovereign right to say so. But it does sound like Namibia enjoys a certain openness. Is that fair to say, in your opinion? Yeah, I think uh, it's... Uh, so, uh, I think it's also, it is really remarkable that uh, people in Namibia holding posts at the University of Namibia can publish very critical stuff uh, where I was really thinking, oh, wow, uh, this person uh, has uh, is really a, a courageous woman or a man uh, who uh, really uh, does not uh, put uh, their professional um, interests uh, uh, first, but really they speak their minds. Mm-hmm. That, uh, but at the same time, um, the uh, government does uh, allow it, basically. They, uh, they, they must be aware of it. And uh, they did have a, a few years ago, they did have a very terrible um, regulations about um, uh, research, uh, uh, not only for foreigners, for everybody, a very bureaucratic sort of stifling idea, but uh, it was handed off. And um, also, one uh, might say many um, critical things about uh, Namibian politics and about the workings of the Namibian state, and uh, so forth and so forth. Uh, one must say uh, they allow. Uh, uh, considerable leeway uh, both uh, for uh, local people and for uh, people who uh, come and uh, do research. Uh, that is really true. Is there any um, sort of public protest um, or, I don't know, parades or commemorations um, that are monitored or people... You speak in your book about different um, celebrations and different traditions that the Herero and Nama traditional authorities engage in. And of course, when you're in Namibia, you can see traces of this. They meet 
um, particular times of the year and so on. Do, is this informed by scholarship or is there a gap between civil society and scholarship or do you see them sort of a, a public scholarship or more of an activist scholarship? I felt your book fell into sort of an activist call insofar as you wanted Germans to do a particular thing with Namibians. How are the Namibians perceiving um, do they think about Germany? Is Germany a constant thing, or are they more in negotiation with the current government, the SWAPO government? No, uh, I think, uh, well, um, one has to um, be specific about who is, is, speaks in the media. Mm -hmm. uh, so um, concerns about the German period are certainly much more intense uh, in the the uh, center and the south of the country, the area where uh, German colonialism was effectively uh, enforced, then in the north where uh, all these things uh, didn't happen. And uh, there was a, quite a different trajectory. Uh, but uh, people uh, who uh, engage these issues they are, of course, very much uh, concerned about Germany, although uh, they don't know too much about Germany. So I always find um, myself explaining and trying to sometimes also dampen hopes uh, when, uh, again, for instance, the left parliamentary party in the Bundestag files a motion uh, which where they say, oh, this is what, exactly what we want. Now we can move forward. I say, no, 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 <laughs> don't uh, hold your horses. Yep. This motion will be thrown out. It's quite clear. It's only uh, that it is on the floor of the parliament, and that's a very good thing, and right. as far as we can get at this stage. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so that is uh, that is one thing. The other thing is uh, how far uh, do they really um, uh, relate uh, to the um, uh, literature that is uh, produced. Mm -hmm. um, for me, it was very important uh, when I uh, published this book uh, to uh, um, consider how can it be made available in Namibia. And this was actually the reason why I decided I'm not looking for some uh, university press in the U.S. or such, um, but I um, use uh, the um, University of Namibia Press, which was then sort of in a relaunch um, phase, luckily, so uh, it was a very, a very good uh, um, situation for doing so, to bring it closer to people. And to some extent, it has also worked, but uh, um, uh, uh, for other for other scholarship, uh, it's uh, it's always difficult. I found uh, that people say, "Oh, there is no research on our issues in Oberhero," and I said, "No." Of course there is, but then I thought, okay, such and such has published in German, such and such uh, is uh, somehow maybe not available uh, uh, in, uh, in, in, in Namibia, 
Um, and of course, there's also a certain gap between uh, people's concerns and the way uh, people relate to uh, their own issues and um, reading up scholarship. That is also clear. I think it's a really interesting um, response that you give, because one thing I did admire about your book is, you know, it's a very professionally produced book. You wouldn't know that it wasn't produced by a so-called American, you know, press in in inverted quotes. I don't think American presses actually always do a good job publishing on Africa. I've been disappointed of late, for example, uh, from Oxford and Cambridge. They seem just to produce things very quickly and the scholarship is not rigorous. And one thing I really really appreciated um, was the plates. You have images throughout the book and they're placed well and it really brings uh, your text to life. And it did make, you know, I really appreciated your contribution and the, just the volume and level of research, p- private interviews, archival work, your own observations. It's a real, you know, what Americans would call mixed methods um, approach. And I think you produce like a very important post-colonial piece of work. Because one thing that we really haven't talked about yet, and I think we should mention for our listeners, is that there's, the, you mentioned it at the outset, part of what we're dealing with here, and it kind of goes unspoken, is South Africa's long occupation of Southwest Africa. And of course, this feeds into something you talk about in the book quite a bit, the over sort of viable, I guess, presence of white Germans in um, present day Namibia. So you have these mm-hmm. legacies of the apartheid era playing themselves out in this German space with whites who would like to see, th- see things um, stay the way they are. And then, of course, you have Germany sort of dancing around the issue of reparations. I, From what I understand, it's not going to happen anytime soon if it happens at all. And, of course, the question becomes, why do white Namibians have such an outside presence in these debates? They seem not to realize their own history in the country in which they live. And then, of course, how can Namibians get closure? Is reconciliation a possibility when memory is so contested, and as you note in your book, silenced in many cases, even as commemorations are happening with local communities? Uh, well, uh, I think it's a, it's a difficult issue. The first, first, of course, uh, what comes to mind is uh, the German speakers, and I think one has to uh, be aware uh, German speakers are about... Uh, 15,000 or so at the moment, uh, an overall population of uh, something like 2.2 or 3 million uh, right now. So it's a very tiny minority and uh, the great majority of uh, whites uh, would be Afrikaans speakers, uh, actually. So uh, and they, they have, uh, to some extent, a different uh, approach. I think uh, the German speakers are a very closed um, community. Uh, they are very privileged. They have uh, the highest, uh, by far the highest standards of living in the country as far as we can tell from um, statistical uh, data. And uh, so there is a, a German daily newspaper. There are radio programs, I think even TV, and uh, of course they also have their uh, uh, German TV and uh, uh, commercial channels. So um, 
these people uh, are really, uh, to, uh, to some extent, actually also not living in the country to, to an extent. Mm -hmm. At the same time, they claim uh, their proponents, I should say, often claim they are the ones who know about uh, the country and its uh, nature and, uh, of course, nature in many ways, including so-called native uh, tribes, what they call. Mm -hmm. And so um, this is a, a very uh, a difficult uh, conglomerate and a very difficult one also uh, uh, in uh, reaching reconciliation, as you say. Uh, uh, I have been uh, talking to people not uh, on the side of the German speakers, but on the Nama side and Herero side, uh, who said, whom can we turn to? Is it possible um, to find somebody uh, who whom we can talk to among the German speakers? It's very, very difficult. It's, it's, it's really difficult. So, uh, not not that there are not German speakers who are different, uh, young, younger people in particular, but they don't... Uh, for good measure, they don't identify so much. Uh, right. Uh, uh, see, as they, uh, they, uh, they travel under different um, logos, and uh, I think understandably so. So it is it is a really difficult uh, thing. And at the same time, of course, um, uh, the uh, stance of the Namibian government is also um, problematic in my view mm -hmm. uh, because uh, they don't really acknowledge the different uh, trajectories uh, which also means uh, they don't uh, properly acknowledge um, the contribution of uh, uh, the forebears of the affected communities to anti-colonial resistance and uh, so the claims uh, uh, we have uh, we have really uh, taken the brunt uh, of uh, this uh, violent onslaught. Uh, it does not reverberate in official memory politics. Well, it's so interesting that you finish on that note because, of course, when you travel around Namibia, you do see German representations of the past um, quite a bit. Mm. You don't see very much of um, genocide history reported. So, for example, I visited... Just in December, the Social History Museum in the town of Swakopmund, which, of course, concentration camps <laughs> were there. And, you know, it's two floors and you, there's lots of history, but it's a white German and a white Afrikaans, yeah. as you know. And then there's sort of one panel on the genocide. And you wonder, yeah. like, what exactly do they think happened? And you ask the the attendant or the curator, I'm not sure who, you ask a white person, like, so what happened mm -hmm. in 1904? Oh, that's not for us. That was something that happened. Yeah. So, And, you know, you bring this out in your book. Ordinary citizens either don't know or are unprepared to take on the responsibility. And you say very clearly yeah. in your conclusion that this lack of knowledge is no excuse for um, the lack of reparation or the lack of reconciliation. Mm. So as we, mm. as we begin mm. to wrap mm. up, what, how, what advice would you give to Germans, whether in Germany or not, uh, perhaps white people more broadly? How can we begin to meet um, Namibians, you know, Herrero and Nama people in particular, um, somewhere in the middle on the crimes that were committed in the name of the state of Germany? 
I think um, uh, it needs uh, more openness, more uh, readiness to listen. I think uh, Germans tend to be uh, very much, especially also official them, on the side of telling Africans what to do. I just uh, had uh, this experience quite recently, but uh, it, it is really like that. And uh, uh, this uh, does not help much. I think the, the main issue is uh, t- uh, the main um, task would be so to um, take people's concerns uh, seriously, to listen listen to them, hear them out, um, and of course uh, try to be constructive. And that also means uh, not uh, forget about the material side of the issue, which is uh, um, there must be compensation uh, and it must be a foregone conclusion. Uh, You cannot um, apologize uh, for uh, a mass crime as a genocide in the same way of uh, when I step on your foot, you know, that is a very different kind of situation. And uh, uh, at the same time, um, uh, uh, it is uh, quite clear that uh, the official apology apology, is uh, wanting in a very um, dramatic and uh, scandalous manner. Um, one, might, one has to remember that before that statement in 2015 by the Foreign Office, uh, the Parliament started the adoption of a resolution on the genocide against Armenians in, in mm. 1915. And it was uh, more or less uh, in the wake of that that uh, people said, oh, but there's something on uh, closer to home as well. And uh, so uh, this is not sorted out. And the uh, Foreign Office has uh, come uh, up with the idea that uh, they uh, negotiate about the wording of the apology. And it is also something which... uh, one has uh, to ponder about where does uh, the uh, uh, side that is uh, on the on the perpetrator side. Of course, perpetrators are no longer with us. Direct victims are no longer with us, but uh, there are positions of the perpetrator. You don't uh, negotiate what you say. You know that you have to know what to say. So yeah, that. Um your comment reminds me of something that I saw in the Waterberg, actually. There were graves for German troops. Some of them had, there was a, 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 a visiting book, so you could see who had visited. It looks like some ancestors, some relatives of troops who passed in what was then Southwest Africa, now Namibia, yeah. um, continued to return and to honor their fallen soldiers. And of course, yeah. you're, you're looking around for a similar monument or some sort of marker for the lives that were lost on the Nama and Herero side, the Namibian side, yeah. and you really can't see one. There's no such thing. Even when you go to um, the graves in Swakopmund, there is a monument for the atrocities committed against these people, there's no mention of the word genocide, which, of course, incenses some people. Yeah, I'm sorry, go ahead. 
It's a very, uh, very unfortunate uh, wording on that particular monument. But uh, as you say, uh, um, German war graves and indeed to some extent also South African war graves are scattered all over the, the southern and central Namibia. You can uh, you can find them on the actual battlefields. You can find them uh, in grave in church graveyards, uh, local church graveyards, and so forth and so so forth. But there are very very few um, ways of uh, commemorating uh, the anti-colonial resistance fighters and. Uh, uh, where uh, there are is most of the time very recent uh, memorials that is um, in a few cases that has happened. Uh, but uh, the actual, uh, actually uh, the graves of those who have uh, fought um, and who have perished uh, in the concentration camps as well, uh, they are for the most time Unknown, unmarked, and uh, uh, it's, uh, it's a great shame. It is a great shame, but it makes me wonder too. Like I also visited, and um, you um, touch on this in the book as well. Some of the monuments, um, the Swapo Nationalist Museum or the Independence Museum, I guess it's called, and it, it makes me. Yeah. So you do see references to the, um, the atrocities of the colonial period, but also that museum is really dedicated to the struggle for independence from South Africa in particular, but colonial rule more broadly. And it makes me wonder, this is a question I had reading your book, is it a feature of post-colonial state building to erase painful memories? Do we have to have a founding myth that promotes unity? Is there something in, in you know, liberation wars, for example, that allows us to put in the past what has happened in the past and ask everyone to move forward? Yeah, well, I think, um, uh, of course, unity is a, a very strong motive uh, in, in that particular museum and the narrative it conveys. So, and I think it's also important uh, to uh, understand that quite apart from the artistic uh, merits or demerits of uh, <laughs> what you see in, the, in that museum, um, but um, I uh, doubt whether unity uh, has uh, always to be uniformity, um, representing uh, sort of a uh, uh, undifferentiated um, picture of um, anti-colonial resistance of a uh, of a Namibia that as a territory was only created in the course of colonial rule. So uh, it was not possible for uh, the northern groups uh, really to participate in intercolonial resistance mm-hmm. in the uh, German period. There was one one uh, single instance uh, where uh, the king in the Halle of uh, Donga uh, led his troops against the Fona Motoni, which is now the rest camped uh, in the Toshan National Park. Mm-hmm. But that was the one one single instance, which of course is now celebrated as a sign uh, of unity. But I think it's uh, much more much more complex, and 
uh, at the same time, of course, uh, the projection of the national liberation struggle, which is not really the object of my research, but has to be reflected um, uh, uh, always along with uh, what I look at. This uh, national liberation struggle is shown as a largely military affair, a uh, affair of uh, diplomacy, or sort of the exile group uh, that um, led SWAPO and represented SWAPO internationally, uh, very important, but uh, that obliterates uh, largely what has happened inside the country. Mm-hmm. And people who have fought uh, in uh, women's group, churches, uh, it, uh, labor unions and so forth. Uh, so uh, that whole uh, dimensions or various dimensions uh, is hardly mentioned. There is a picture of a church or something like that, but um, there's very little of what happened inside the country in that particular narrative. I have two more questions before we um, wrap up. Thank you for everything so far. I wanted to ask you a question, sort of one political scientist to another. Um, What comparative lessons do you see from the Namibian case, the Southwest Africa case, uh, for other cases in Africa or elsewhere? I'm thinking in particular of Rwanda. Of course, their genocide was 25 years ago. We have genocides ongoing, perhaps, uh, depending on your definition in Darfur, Um, Yemen, events that happened in Peru or Guatemala or Cambodia. Any any comparative mm. lessons from your study that others could take away? Um, I think um, uh, for the more recent from for, for the more recent cases, um, I guess uh, um, salvaging um, memories as far as it's possible is very important. Uh, I'm uh, just comes to my mind uh, a occasion which I found very very moving when I was uh, called uh, to participate in a um, event in uh, on Long Island at the uh, Holocaust Memorial and Tolerance Center, which was partly co-organized by Oberherero living in the United States, mm-hmm. and. Uh, it was attended by a large contingent of uh, um, survivors and descendants of survivors of the Holocaust as well. And um, uh, there was this uh, uh, one uh, gentleman, obviously in his 80s, uh, well into his 80s, and he had just arrived from Vienna, where he uh, was originally uh, from and uh, had given talks in in Vienna, and uh, then he said, oh, I think we have to learn from uh, these uh, Namibians because of their um, vibrant oral traditions. And when we uh, were uh, actually time uh, time witnesses, we'll no longer be there. Uh, We must have uh, similar oral traditions that uh, can be preserved over the generations. I found that uh, very, very moving. Uh, also, solidarity between um, uh, these two groups, um, uh, Holocaust survivors and descendants of the genocide, but at the same time, 
the idea we could learn from each other, especially in transmitting the memory. And of course, uh, it also uh, applies to preserving memories. Yeah, you make an important. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, in the to the measure that people are able and uh, uh, prepared to talk about their experiences, I'm quite aware that this is not always the case. And uh, I think uh, we all uh, mm-hmm. can count ourselves lucky that we don't haven't had had uh, to go through this and uh, don't have any um, position to. Uh, argue whether somebody has to talk or not. That is really uh, their own decision and uh, I very much respect those who do and uh, even who um, open up um, their um, uh, transgenerational memory in a Namibian case. You mean you make an important methodological and ethical point that, you know, salvaging lived memories and separating them from the official narrative is a very delicate business and we must treat it with the utmost um, respect. Um, Reinhard, I want to thank you for chatting with me today. I really enjoyed it. And as we begin to wrap up, I want to ask just two final questions. One, is there anything that um, I haven't asked that you want listeners to know and second, what are, you know, two or three books, a book that you would recommend to learn more about what we've discussed today? Oh, that's now, uh, um, uh, I think uh, uh, we have covered a, a lot of uh, ground, so I wouldn't uh, want to add more. Um, yeah, the, uh, the two books that come to my mind actually, um, unfortunately, are in German. Uh, so uh, I hope there will be a, there will be uh, English versions at some point. But I will mention them. Uh, it's first uh, the uh, work by Gesine Krüger on the uh, ways uh, over here has. Uh, remembered and um, engaged with that memory of the genocide up, I think, more less through the 1930s. Oh, thank you. Uh, so it's a very historical one. And the second is by um, Larissa Förster, who has um, given this um, marvelous account of the memory landscape of Waterberg of various um, actors, so uh, Overero and German speakers at the Waterberg, and when you come back to the Waterberg and you can read German, it's your Wadermakum as well. (laughs) I can add one in English. I just read it um, a couple months ago, and I really enjoyed it. It's The Kaiser's Holocaust um, by Osuja uh, and Erickson, I mm-hmm. think for English, it, like it's just a shocking book. And it did reading mm. that book first and then reading your book second was um, a very powerful okay. experience for me. So okay. I'll just add that. I hope you don't mind. Um, we've been, no, dis- right. thank you. We've been discussing, um, Reinhard Kessler's book, Namibia and Germany, negotiating the past published in 2015 by the university of Namibia press. Reinhard, thank you for your time today. I really appreciate it. And I, uh, thank I, you. I, okay. I, 